Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. So it's the last Tuesday of January. We actually had five Tuesdays this month. So it's hashtag Terry Tuesday, and we're going to get started with our top 10 Tuesday. So what I wanted to do is many of you heard that the Omnibus Act uh, and bill was passed on de- or and signed into law, I should say, December 29th, which also extended a lot of the ex- uh, flexibilities under the 1135 waivers from the original CARES Act of 2020. And some of these waivers we have gotten used to, especially as regards to telehealth. And so I wanted to use the Top 10 Tuesday to tell you the top 10 uh, fine print flexibilities and things you may not be aware of uh, that did not extend through the 2024 year. So the very first thing would be on the telehealth, and that is the payment parity. So once the public health emergency ends, and then through the end of only 2023, does payment parity still come into play uh, with the office visits, et cetera, and anything that are um, under the telehealth, telemedicine, um, delivery of medicine. So what's going to happen is that at some point we're going to get an alert that we have to switch our place of service. And it's probably going to be either t- number 10, which is what is changed to the patient's home, or O2 if the patient's not in their home, um, but or if they're just going to continue to use the modifier. But either way, the payment parity right now that we are enjoying for telehealth, which to me that isn't shouldn't be accurate because it actually is, there was a, a a recent study that came out that said that telehealth is actually charging and costing people at least a dollar more to almost 10% more for their E&M services. And if the patient's not in person getting an actual exam, then how is that supposed to be more, you know, how, how is that not cost effective? One of the things with telehealth that the proponents keep saying is that, well, you should do and pay for telehealth and everything because it actually saves money for the system. Well, if it's not saving money and it's only convenient for the patient, you're going to have a really tough time talking lawmakers into paying for it. So we want to continue to keep telehealth as an option for the delivery of medicine, but we have to show where it's exactly either on par with in-person or as close as you can get. And we know it isn't because there isn't an in-person visit. So there should be some of that RVU value taken out of that uh, telehealth. So that's number one, the payment parity at the end of 2023 looks like it's going away. The other thing is the audio only for new patient visits. That's actually ending at the end of 2023 as well. So even though the flexibility to continue with audio only through the end of 2024, it's only for established patient visits. So you have to show an established um, clinical relationship to the patient. And, you know, that's appropriate. We shouldn't be seeing new patients at this point um, at the end of the, I should say at the endemic uh, from a new patient perspective. We should be seeing patients... um, you know, in person. And then once they're in person, and you've established that a relationship. Now you can trust who that patient is, understand who that patient is, and how they could benefit possibly from an interim visit with uh, through telehealth. So I think actually, that's a really good thing. The other thing is platform. So this is number three. So the Office of Civil Rights, the OCR came out as soon as the Omnibus Act came out. 
and the anticipation of the end of the PHE is hopefully going to be um, April's 11th. They said they will also make an announcement saying that the uh, non-HIPAA platforms such as Skype or FaceTime will no longer be allowed. You have to have a HIPAA platform, whether it be DoxyMe or uh, your EMR where you flip a switch and you're going through your own electronic uh, health record that should have a telehealth um, option on it at this point. So the MyChart, the NextGens, the Microsofts, whatever you have as far as your EMR, if you're going to continue with um, telehealth through the end of 2024, if they're going to allow it, since they're going to allow it, then you want to make sure that you have a HIPAA protected platform. Remember, you, being able to use your smartphone was only temporary. And now it's just being used for whatever the patients on vacation sitting on a beach and they're calling in on their FaceTime uh, cell phone and getting what some providers are saying is a level four, you know, level five visit when it's not. So I do a lot of auditing and, you know, I was just actually auditing a record today and it was, oh my gosh. So there was a patient that had to come in um, or was actually seen through telehealth and it was a seven-year-old who had a possible lymph node nodule. And it even said something to the effect that, quote, I had mom show me the camera on the observation and it's really difficult to see the lymph node, but I don't think that there's any underlying um, arrhythmia or any kind of oozing. Well, you don't think it appears? I mean, come on, get the patient into the office. You know, I, I can't tell you how angry that makes me when I see stuff like that because you know that I had an issue with uh, my father-in-law who passed away of Hodgkin's lymphoma and a very similar thing happened. It was right at the height of the pandemic. And so they, he couldn't go into the office. We were quarantined, couldn't go into the ER. So that was different. Not where we're at now where you actually can make a doctor, doctor's visit and it shouldn't be relying on parents to have a, a fuzzy screen to say, what do you think? It even said something within the exam I was auditing that said, um, the mother said that it was not warm to touch. Well, how does the parent know? What if the mother's temperature was out of whack? This is for a doctor to decide. So if you can't hear my frustration in my voice, you're not listening. Um, I'm very frustrated because I think telehealth absolutely has a place, but these kinds of Blatant errors have no business in telehealth, and it's going to hurt people who are doing it right, who actually need it. So anyway, that was number three. So first was payment parity. That's going to change at the end of 2023. Second one is audio only is only going to be for an established patient. And then the next one is the Office of Civil Rights is going to make an announcement once the PHE ends. And they didn't even say through the end of 2023. Let me clarify on that one. They said that they're going to let us know when the using a smartphone or a non-compliant HIPAA device is okay. So that's number three on what's the fine print in that omnibus bill, because we always want to make sure that's important. Number four is place of service. So I mentioned that before. Um, Medicare has told us not to use the CPT place of service until the PHE ends. And then in the uh, CAA, which was the Consolidated Appropriations Act that extended to the omnibus bill, uh, said to use the place of service as it would have been if the patient came in or was seen in person. But I'm told that that may change to the end of the year. So there's a big push to end the PHE. And so we'll see if that does get edited a bit. So that would be number four. We have to always keep in mind that um, just because it gets put in some kind of a bill or a rule, as you can see, some things definitely get scaled back. 
So number five is now when we're dealing with crossing state lines. So I've talked about this quite a bit on several different podcasts with the compliance guy with Sean Weiss. I talked about it on top 10 to our talk 10 Tuesday with ICD 10 monitor. And just so you know, at this time, crossing state lines is only in about four states. It was just at the end of December and 11. So if your physician is going to see a patient that is not in the state that they are licensed, then that is possibly considered fraud. So make sure that they are licensed in the state where the patient is at the time of the encounter. Otherwise, it most likely is not a covered service. And that's a really big deal. So switching gears just a little bit, but this is also part of some of the things we're talking about. CDC did drop their universal masking guidelines for healthcare workers. They haven't dropped the mandated vaccines yet, but I'm assuming that may follow. But what they still say is they recommend it based on certain healthcare facility populations uh, like the nursing homes. But right now it is not um, a universal guideline that you have to do that. So they're still asking you, asking um, facilities to uh, use the OSHA community transmission benchmarks and then um, they can choose not to require masks at their masking at their facility. I'm sure it's because how many because of the mandates. So uh, we'll see how that kind of all pans out. So that's number six of some of the things we just want you to be aware of in the fine print in healthcare lately. There's just there's so much information. It's just amazing to me when I read through some of this stuff and I think, okay, why didn't that make the the big news uh, today? But sometimes it just doesn't. So number seven. So one thing that CMS rolled out earlier this month, so earlier in January, is something called a telehealth indicator. This helps uh, patients find out who is actually offering telehealth, which kind of tells you that at some in some format, it's always going to be here to stay. But what does that look like actually? So what they did is they, when you go to the CMS website, so Medicare.gov, and then the uh, you can look up a physician that is um, part of the Medicare program. And then right underneath it, it'll say a, a green check mark and it'll say telehealth services uh, where this um, provider is. So it's, it's specific to a provider. Then it'll give the group affiliation if they work for a large group, the location of where they are, and it'll add locations if they need it. And then a phone number and you can even save it to favorites. So I thought that was interesting. So at medicare.gov, if you're searching for, if your patients are searching for a provider, that's where they're going to find. Another update that came out recently, and this is for Medicare Advantage plans. So this was important. Um, we have a digital way now that there's an article that um, United Healthcare said that you're going to have to do your reconsiderations, your submissions, your appeals. That has, it's going to have to all be done electronically. So as of February 1st, which is uh, just around the corner, it's actually tomorrow, uh, you're going to have to submit any kind of reconsiderations or post-service appeals under the um, United Healthcare Network, which also includes their Medicare Advantage electronically. So make sure you're going to their website to know how to do that. And I'm looking at it now. It's uhcprovider.com. And just make sure that you're aware of how that's going to work because um, they actually have a whole um, interface on how to do it and, you know, kind of a how-to thing. So it's right on their the front of their website. So that's that's actually important news and probably going to make things a little bit easier for you as well.
So that was number eight. So number nine today, I actually wanted to uh, talk about something that's coming up a lot on the ENM auditing that I'm doing and also on the training that I'm doing for 2023. So a question comes up and it basically says that um, I have a group of providers, orthopedic physicians, and they will review a patient's MRI that was not done uh, in the practice and they didn't charge for it. So do they get an independent interpretation because the patient did not have it gone over with them uh, when they had it performed in the outpatient hospital and now they need to go over it with them and tell them what's happening to move to the future? And I said, yes, you are going to get that independent interpretation Um I guess, credit for that in your data points. And that's going to be under the category three on a, a moderate visit. But then the question came in and said, but my physicians do it over and over again. I'm like, oh no. So she said, how many times can it be counted with the within a review for each encounter? So when you read the definition of the independent interpretation, it says within that definition, this does not apply when the provider is reporting the service or has previously reported the service for the patient. So specifically what they're trying to say is, and they, I mean AMA, is that here's a provider looking at this image repeatedly and continuing to make reassessments of this image with new interpretations? I don't think so. And that's not the expectation. So remember, the American Medical Association, which is CPT, put certain rules in place to prevent providers from inappropriate actions and not trying to capture services that they already captured. It is about reporting for the charge of the MRI, but it's also reporting something that you already did and to avoid duplication or duplicative efforts. Because now that's driving the visit to a level four when it, it may not be. And so we have to be very careful with that. Also appreciate uh, Shannon DeConda with NAMIS uh, putting this in one of her blogs as well, because I had this, this is something that I had and it was a similar conversation uh, with, with the person that I was responding to as well. So you can also uh, see that on one of her blogs, but the work should appropriate, should be appropriate with the complexity of the encounter. And so you always have to look for medical necessity. And if the patient, if the physician is, uh, keep, keeps looking at the patient's MRI, where's the medical necessity for what's being reported? So you're not basically, is it auto impacted information? And or I should say auto imported information. It keeps cu getting cut and pasted all the way through. The physician wouldn't really need to look at the image again and again and again. And so it, it's really tough um, to, to say that that would be medically indicated. And so just know that that that's something that's coming up and that is a question that I'm getting often. And so you want to just be careful with that. Just remember if medical necessity is key and that's before you get into medical decision-making and medical necessity means why should you be paid for that? So, you know, if you're going to get reimbursed for that, you need to prove why that is medically necessary to reassess images on an MRI every single encounter. Uh, and that probably would be very difficult to do. The last thing I'm going to do for top 10 Tuesday is a question that comes in on the uh, physician who is consulting on a patient who's in the hospital. And now that we have inpatient and observation care codes, and I know I, this may be repetitive because everybody is talking about this lately, and I might have mentioned it last week, but oh my gosh, it's a weekly question that comes in. So let's say that you have a provider in your practice that is of one specialty, and then a provider in the same practice is of the same specialty or subspecialty. So let's just talk about the one that's easy to do with that. Let's say that it's cardiology and then electrophysiology. 
And your cardiologist during the same stay, not just the same date or the same day, the same stay, so the same admission, sees the patient and then asks for a consult. So the cardiologist that originally saw the patient, either um, inpatient or for OBS care, because it's the same code now, would bill the codes 99221 to 223 in that range somewhere. And then the physician, the EP doc, because they're in the same group practice, same or subspecialist during the same stay, there's a lot of things go into this, they would either bill the 99233 to 231, which is subsequent hospital, inpatient or observation, or they would bill an outpatient code, new or established patient, just like we do in the office. And that's per Medicare. So you can't bill the initial hospital codes anymore during the same stay for multiple physicians in the same group practice, same specialty or subspecialty. We used to be able to for subspecialists, but now we can't do that. So that question comes up a lot and we just want to make sure that we're clear on how to utilize um, the new rules because we don't want anybody to get in trouble. Okay, everyone, hope that helped for this week. Uh, It's been a great top 10 Tuesday, and I will see you in February. Don't forget, for those of you that have asked, we've had a lot of new members join us, the uh, Coding Corner membership, where you can find on my website at terryfletcher.net is uh, it's up there. It's for unlimited coding questions through email. And there's two different plans. There is the regular membership and then the executive membership, which also includes some free webinars and an ask me anything uh, live zoom call every quarter. So hopefully you'll take advantage of that. Oh, and also my personal tidbit for the week. I always want to throw that in there. Um, Yeah, my Steelers didn't make it to the playoffs because Miami, oh my goodness, they had to go and win a game by what, a a safety, but, um, and they were completely obliterated their, their first time out. But this weekend, uh, or I should say the weekend that before you're going to be listening to this, uh, the top four teams, and actually it's four teams that have all won at least 13 games are in the NFL. And for those of you, you better not be a Cincinnati fan <laughs> or you're not my friend. So we are, we're Chiefs fans this past weekend. So we'll see what happens. But hopefully, it, I, I'm hoping that it'll be a Chiefs and 49er um, Super Bowl and the Chiefs win. The 49ers, I love the Brock Purdy story, story but... They have five Super Bowls, so the Steelers have six, and I don't want them to get to six. So there's there's my thing. So see, I'm a little selfish there. But anyway, hopefully uh, it'll all work out. So everyone, have a really good rest of your week. Make it a great day, and thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1, or visit her website at www dot terry f-l-e-t-c-h-e-r dot net podcast producer joe kuzma music producer assassin music